The Toronto Maple Leafs make a big shakeup with the Pittsburgh Penguins. We give our picks for the upcoming conference finals. And the Gainesway Entertainment District dispute is over! Praise the sun! Thinking Podcast starts now! This is the Deep Geeks Podcast here on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever else you find your podcast. I'm Thomas Mercier, along with Amanda Sierkowski. Great to have you back with us once again. It has been a couple weeks since we last talked. Uh, we'll talk about that in just a moment. But Amanda, uh, it's been a couple weeks since we talked. Uh, obviously, a lot has happened over these two weeks, but it's good to be back. Uh, we're both feeling uh, a little bit crappy today, but you know what? We're pushing through it, and uh, we're trying to uh, pleasure the people and uh, give them what they want. That's it. And you know what? I think that... Uh even though we're not feeling maybe the best, uh, some of us uh, may have gotten into the Pink Whitney a little bit last night, but uh, <laughs> we're still supporting hockey. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, no, we're, we're ready to go. It's going to be another great week. And uh, obviously there's been several developments uh, around yeah. the league uh, and just in the hockey world in the last two weeks. So uh, lots to get to. So let's get going. Yeah, let's get right into it. Uh, now, first, we need to cover um, we need to cover something that we obviously have not been able to talk about. Um, we decided not to release an episode last week um, due to what's been going on uh, in Wisconsin with um, with the one killing that happened there, uh, and MLB, NHL, and NBA decided to post. Uh, uh, postponed games. The NHL doing that for Thursday, Friday, so the playoffs were kind of pushed back. Uh, for the NBA, they resumed um, not too long ago, but still a lot has happened over the last week or so. And um, you know, Amanda and I decided, you know, I don't think we should record or release an episode just because of what's happening, and we need to focus on the bigger picture. And again, we covered. Um, you know, diversity and racism in not just the world, but in sports as well. And this is really, really taken um, most of the headlines for the last, I would say, month or so. And yet again, it's starting to take headlines because people were starting to boycott um, their games. And it all started in the NBA uh, with Milwaukee walking off the, or not even showing up on the court. And that game had to be postponed. And then the rest followed suit and then, you know, NBA and the NHL players, especially the Hockey Diversity Alliance, were saying, you know, where's the support that you guys said that you were going to give us? Um, we shouldn't be playing right now. This is the last thing we should be doing. I mean, Kenny the Jet Smith from NBA on TNT and Kelly Rudy pretty much summed it up uh, saying that they're not comfortable being here. This is the last thing we should be worrying about or even talking about. So I think you know, postponing the games was honestly the best idea. And for us, myself and Amanda, I think not releasing an episode last week was definitely important for us because again, our statement said that we need to, um, we need to focus on, you know, the bigger picture here. This is more than sports and we, um, need to really take the time to think about this. Um, and Amanda, I'll let you give your thoughts because you're the one that first texted me about it. Um, asking if we cannot record an episode because of what's happening, and 
Uh, I agree that we're both, you know, not comfortable recording an episode under these circumstances. So I'll let you take the reins here for a couple minutes. Yeah, I, I think that one of the takeaways from all of this is that, um, you know, these actions that are being taken by, by professional sports and, and the players, by them boycotting games, they, you know, this isn't going to make this big change, but it gets people talking. And that's what was really kind of the driving home point for that for me was just, I think we need to take a break and really do some learning you know about what's going on in the world and because I think that you know through COVID obviously and I think a lot of people have gotten to the point where you're not consuming maybe as much as you used to as far as news is concerned uh, just because it at some points it just got to be you know information overload and uh, you know anybody that's at home or dealing with you know uh, anxiety, it can be overwhelming. And Mm -hmm. in this case, I think that the stand that they took was very powerful because again, they know that it's not going to make a difference by not playing their hockey game or not playing, you know, their basketball game. But what it does get is a conversation started. And Mm -hmm. the part that I have a really hard time with now is reading those comments, you know, online and, the internet trolls of the world. And, um, it's, it's really hard to, to read some of that stuff and, you know, say that, well, this, this isn't part of sports. Like just, you're getting paid millions of dollars to play a sport, play the sport. You know, the fact that, um, these players were coming together as one, even though, you know, they're on opposite teams, uh, their enemies, you know, on the court or on the field or on the ice. And yet they come together as one to really take a stand. And I think mm-hmm. that that's really powerful. Um, I think that there's so many conversations that need to be had. And, you know, just like for us, even just talking to our kids about what's going on in the world and, and Black Lives Matter and, you know, making sure that they have at least in understanding, uh, it certainly has sparked conversations in our own home. And I think that that is something that, you know, by starting to have those conversations, even with kids as young as we have, it's really important. And I just wish that there was not so much backlash, you know, towards the NHL or towards the MLB or towards the NBA and postponing some of these games because, I think people are missing the big picture here yeah. and, and that's the part that like that bothers me. Um, but I, I do think that what they did and taking a stand was very powerful. Yeah. And, you know, I think it was the Dallas stars that said uh, they have had um, ticket sales drop or season ticket sales drop or they lost season ticket hold season ticket holders because of not playing the games and i think that that is just so ridiculous <laughs> that's so that's so stupid you know if if really that's because a, a sporting team took a stand against you know racial injustice and it just injustice as a whole going on in the world today uh but specifically you know black lives matter movements and you lost season ticket holders because of that 
okay, bye. Yeah, like, the, the, this is more than sports, and that's yes. that's something people don't understand. These are people's lives that are at stake here, and pe innocent people are being killed. Now, obviously, people will say um, that the guy from Wisconsin, you know, was he was he really as innocent as people think? It doesn't matter. Someone was shot in the back seven times. And this is continuing around the world. And people need to understand this is people's lives being taken from them in front of their own families. And something had to be said and done about it. If this were to happen in Canada, in Canada, there would be national and international outrage because Absolutely. firearms are not permitted in this country unless it's police enforcement or obviously army enforcement. And yet there's people walking the streets with assault rifles and AK-47s that are shooting and killing people in front of officers and do nothing about it. This is far more than sports. People's lives are at stake here and innocent people are being killed and people need to understand that this could happen to literally anyone at any time. We are not all safe. We're not safe. And that's the thing that people need to understand. Nobody is safe in this world. Anything can and will happen at some point. And we need to stop this from happening. Because I'm quite frankly sick of having to see on the news that someone was shot in the back and killed in front of their own family. And has basically re-sparked all of these mass riots across the United States. I'm tired of seeing it and nobody taking a stand for what's happening or responsibility for what's happening for that matter. I'm quite frankly tired of it and people are going to say, keep politics out of sports. Hate to break it to you, buddy, but this is a business and there are politics every single goddamn day. There are politics in business, whether it's sports related or not sports related. And people need to understand that politics plays a big part in sports. You look at the NBA, there are politics all over the place with their players, sometimes with the coaches, hell, sometimes even with the fans. Politics is a part of sports, and it's going to stay that way until the end of time. And I'm just tired of people saying, oh, I'm not going to support this team because they support Black Lives Matter. Well, you know what? We're not going to miss you. See you later. I don't give a damn what you think about your sports team because they might have a black player on that team that is emotionally devastated because of what's been happening over the last few months. They need time to console themselves, console their families, console their friends, and for their teammates to console them. And likewise, I'm tired of people saying they're not going to support a team because they support a movement of black lives mattering in our world because this racism and police brutality has been going on for far too long people need to stand up to this and i'm tired of people trying to troll other people online saying that this is not an important matter and politics needs to stay away from sports i'm quite frankly tired of it it needs to stop i'm sick of it i'm just tired of it yeah I, obviously you're very passionate about it right and i think that that that's the thing with um you know, players taking a stand because like I said, it, it, they understand that it's not going to spark this big, huge movement and everybody's going to suddenly pay attention, but they, they are on a platform that gives them, um, people's attention just because of what they do for a living. And people do watch and you do have, you know, young children that are watching. And to us, the way that we explained it to the kids was, look, 
they've come together. It does not matter whether you're white, black, uh, it, it just doesn't matter. They're, you're coming together as one and they're standing up for what they believe in. And, you know, as an education piece to, to young kids that are watching the sport, it, I think that that is something that's really important. You know, the kids didn't get to see it live, but we, we showed it them the video of it and they were all very kind of blown away by the fact that, you know, players from different teams, they're standing, you know, in solidarity together and understanding what it is that they're doing and taking a stand against the racial injustice. And I think that that, it becomes a really powerful message. And, you know, the whole thing about politics, there's politics and everything, and it's not going to go away. Mm -hmm. You know, hockey or any sport for that matter is a business at the end of the day. Yes. These players work their whole lives to get to play a sport that they love, but there is a business component to this, you know, for the players and obviously the team itself, it's a business. Uh, So people need to understand that, there 100% is politics involved in, in businesses. And, you know, that's not going to disappear. But I think that um, obviously taking the time to, to learn and educate and uh, really address some of the issues that are going on in our world right now. And especially if you have like families and, you know, setting up for the, the next generation, right, as well. Mm-hmm. And because this isn't something that's just going to disappear. Uh, it's no. too bad that it wouldn't just disappear uh, because then that would mean that we wouldn't be having to have these types of conversations of Black Lives Matter in 2020. Like this, this is not something that we thought in 2020 we would have to talk about because at this point, you know, it's already <laughs> stressful enough. It, like yeah. it's already stressful enough with the whole COVID thing and, you know, worrying about our own safety from a virus, but now we got to worry about our own safety of people walking the streets with AK-47s and assault rifles. Like, am I wrong in thinking that? It's definitely a, it's definitely a challenging time. There's no question. And I think that um, the States is in a very different, um, how am I going to put that? They're it, in they, a state of dismay at this point. Yeah. And, you know, these shootings, like, um, that are that are happening. Jacob Blake. Uh, this is the shooting that happened in Wisconsin, and everybody right away was, oh well, not everybody. Sorry, the, I'm using a term that I shouldn't. It wasn't everybody, but mm-hmm. the, some of the news reports were, well, he he was wanted for other things. It doesn't matter. He was responding to an incident, and he was then shot seven times in the back, and now. You know, he he is alive and he's he's in hospital right now. But apparently they had him uh, handcuffed to his bed in the hospital because of these charges that, you know, outstanding charges or an outstanding warrant that was brought uh, up. And it's just I feel like the human decency is missing in a lot of people's lives. Like it just doesn't make sense to me like for somebody that understands the you know the racial injustices that are happening and I don't mean like I I know it all it's just 
you know, we've been reading about it and we've been learning and we've been trying to educate the kids and, you know, why this matters and why that this is important. And it just, I don't know. It's really mind boggling for me. Like I said, in 2020 that we're having this type of conversation because this is not something that should be present in our world. Like we should not have to do this in 2020. Like it's 2020. On a consistent basis. Yeah. On a consistent basis. It's happening almost every week now. Yeah. And it's it, emotionally draining. And I, I, <laughs> like you said, it's not going to go away in the snap of a finger, but like we need to do better and we need to do our research and we need to just be better people because, yeah. um, you know, I have plenty of friends who are of the opposite skin color that are scared of what's happening right now. And, you know, they're trying to work with other people to stop this from happening and all the power to them in that regard. And again, this isn't going to go away quickly. And if no one talks about it, then it's then it's going to stay under the rug for a long time. And it's been under the rug for a long time. And now finally, with all that's been happening, it's it's finally come to light and people are trying to stop this from happening once and for all. Now, we'll move on from this conversation because I think we said what we needed to say. We got our, uh, I think we gave our two cents on the whole matter. And, uh, you know, I, I just think, again, I stand by our decision not recording an episode last week in the light of those events. And we just need to do better as as people and stop judging people because they don't have the same skin color as we do we're all people on this planet and that that's really what it is just because we have a different skin color doesn't mean we're a different type of person that that's just what it is and people need to understand that so we'll move forward with the show now but i'm glad we got that out of the way and you know hopefully people stand with us in, in that regard if they don't, so be it. Uh, you know, we don't care. We care about other people's safety and how people feel. And we want people, especially, um, you know, foreigners that have come into our country, we want them to be uh, comfortable. We want them to have a sense of security because they belong here with us and that they're welcome in my country. I don't know how you feel, Amanda, but that's just my that's just my two cents. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that um, as we continue to, you know, evolve and, and grow as individuals and then obviously with the platform of a podcast is, yes, it's a sports podcast, but I think it it overlaps, right? And yeah. I think from time to time there's going to be conversations like this. And um, I think that at this point all we can do is continue to – to grow and evolve and move forward at this point and, you know, go on to the next topic just to finish this conversation. Uh, I think we've said what we needed to say and, and it's time to move on. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, let's move into a big piece. We couldn't talk about last week because we didn't record an episode, but Holy, was this a big trade that happened uh, <laughs> over the last couple of weeks, the Toronto Maple Leafs have shipped Kasperi Kapanen back to the Pittsburgh Penguins in a six-player deal. Uh, being sent to Pittsburgh is Kasperi Kapanen, uh, prospect Jesper Lindgren, and Pontus Auberg. And in return, Toronto gets Evan Rodriguez, Philip Hollander, David Warsawski, 
And the 2020 first round pick, which is, in fact, the 15th overall pick in this year's draft. Now, the Leafs initially had the 13th overall pick, but they shipped that to Carolina as part of the Patrick Marlowe deal to try and get rid of his cap dump. The Leafs now moved down two spots, but dumped that big cap and contract to make some room in terms of their salary cap. And Amanda, of course, we are fans of our respective teams. This one came as a stunner to us because uh, Elliot Freeman broke the news on Twitter saying Kapanen was being shipped. Nobody had the information uh, quite yet. And I remember telling you, if it's Jack Johnson, I am going to, uh, I'm going to do something that I would probably not be happy with doing. But instead, it was not Jack Johnson. It was, in fact, getting that first-round pick, and especially Philip Hollander and Rodriguez and Rosowski to boot. And, um, again, this really takes quite a bit of cap uh, off the lease for next season. Now, obviously, Rodriguez is an RFA for next season, so there's going to have to be some negotiating on that table. But the Toronto Maple Leafs have freed up some cap space, which brings the question of if they could bring in a top defender to help with their blue line. We'll get into that part in a second, but I wanted to get your overall thoughts on this trade. I think it's a good trade for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, I don't think Kapanen has reached his full potential yet, um, and I think that he has an opportunity based on you know kind of what the Penguins camp is saying uh to potentially play on that top one or two lines uh, and fit in as like the energy guy on that team. Now, so you have an opportunity now to potentially either play with Sidney Crosby or with Evgeny Malkin. And those are... If they even hang around because apparently a lot is on the table and for sale in Pittsburgh. Well, I I think that there's lots always on the table, but I think think that you're going to see both of those guys remain in in Pittsburgh but um, I think that it overall this adds a key element to their hockey club and obviously they had uh, selected him in the 2014 NHL draft I believe Uh, so the Penguins are very familiar with who he is uh, obviously his style of play and I think at the end of the day the penguins uh are gonna get a great player out of this deal but and they I, lose their first round they pick, do. though amanda they that's do. The, the general yeah. consensus is that this is a massive overpayment by jim rutherford i do think it is an overpayment uh this at 15 this year you're going to end up with a very good hockey player uh in this year's draft just <sighs> Yeah, it, it, it is an overpayment. I, I would agree that it is an overpayment for Kapanen. But I think overall, at the end of the day, as far as where he is in his development versus obviously a 15th overall selection, uh, I think that he will fit in with that group in Pittsburgh and will do exactly what he is brought in for. And that's to, you know, to be kind of that energy guy on the line and depending on who he plays with, could see him break out a little bit. And um, hmm, I, real quickly, what were your thoughts about sending Hollander to the lease? Because a lot of people really like Philip Hollander because he's apparently one of uh, one of the better prospects in 
his respective draft, but Pittsburgh's giving up on him quickly. What's your thoughts about flipping Hollander? I uh, that one was kind of an interesting one for me. Um, I thought that there would be other players named in a deal like this. Uh, so for him to, I think you put it perfectly. The Penguins are basically giving up on him and you know shipping him off to the Leafs. Um, I think the Leafs obviously see tremendous value in him, though, uh, and he he is still very young, right? This is a he was a two thousand birth year, so yeah, he's got. Uh, I think with Toronto's system, he will develop very well within the Leafs organization. Mm-hmm. Um, now Pittsburgh's Pittsburgh's cap situation for next year is interesting because again they don't have a first or second round pick in this year's draft, which is a massive concern for me. Uh, they don't have a first for next year either, um, and they have a lot of expiring contracts uh, for this offseason. Connor Sheary uh, being at the top, a lot of RFA's including Jared McCann, uh, Anthony Angelo, Sam Lafferty, and Dominic Simone. And, of course, the biggest RFAs, Matt Murray and Tristan Jari. And apparently, they're both available for trades uh, to other teams or just being sent elsewhere. Now, also, there is Patrick Marlowe, who's a UFA, but there are rumors that he may retire um, unless he stays around for one more season. Justin Schultz is UFA as well. Uh, it's a really interesting scenario here, Amanda. And you look at all the prospect for the Penguins going forward. Of course, they got Samuel Poulin moving forward. Um, they got Graham Knott as well. Uh, Pont- I mean, they get Pontus Arbor too. But still, you give up Philip Hollander and a first-round pick for Kasperi happening. I personally think it's a little bit too extreme of, of a return to give up to the Maple Leafs because you give the Leafs a lot more breathing room. And now... Um, going into this draft, the Leafs obviously are looking for not just a top two defenseman, but they're looking for a new goalie because realistically going forward for the Leafs, Anderson is not going to be the answer for them because he's going to be on the wrong side of 30 when his contract is expired. I don't see Anderson staying with the Leafs and apparently all fingers with this draft pick, and I'll get your opinion on it quickly, all fingers are pointing to the Leafs using this draft pick to draft Askarov with that pick. Yeah, like there's been said that Dubas may flip that pick, but I have a feeling that you're going to see the Leafs uh, retain that 15th overall selection. They this have year. to. Yeah. They have to. Uh, now, as far as Pittsburgh is concerned, you were talking about Matt Murray and Tristari. Without question, one of them is not going to be a Pittsburgh Penguins. I don't think it's Murray. I think Jari is the answer going forward, really. Especially if you go into a rebuild, you have to go with Jari. I'm sorry, but Matt Murray just did not cut any kind of mustard in playoffs. No, it, this was definitely not a good playoff for Matt Murray. Uh, but again, though, I I can't put all the blame on Murray because the Pittsburgh Penguins just forgot to show up. Oh, they just sucked. Straight they up sucked. Terrible. Everybody sucked. Yeah, they were terrible. Uh, you know, obviously there were some guys that were injured. Every locker room. So you can't use a war. Okay, but 
you got to find a way to win and and they didn't so I, I also would tend to lean on Matt Murray not being the guy moving forward in Pittsburgh um I, it'll be interesting to see what happens in the next little while and and what ends up kind of transpiring from that for sure and again for the least just to reiterate what's happening um they do free up a little bit of cap space, but they do have some players that they need to resign. Uh, in terms of RFAs, Evan Rodriguez, Ilya Mikheyev, Dennis Mulligan, Frederick Gauthier, and Travis Dermott, all UFA, uh, RFAs, excuse me. And then in the UFA pool, uh, Kyle Clifford, Jason Spezza, Cody Cece, and Tyson Berry. Now, um, I said this on a previous episode, I don't see Cece and Berry coming back. The Leafs can't afford to keep Tyson Berry, especially with how poorly he played the season. Uh, same goes for Cody Cece. It was basically just to get rid of Nikita Zaitsev, um, which I think kind of worked, but Cece just made it really hard to watch. Spezza wants to come back to Toronto, but, um, you know, he's 37. Uh, he would have to sign for league men. No more than that. Obviously, no less. Um, you, I think you bring back Clifford because he's really the only size and grit that team has. You know, Ilya Mikheyev, I think, proves that he can get a good contract, but the negotiating has to be within reason. You can't overspend on these guys, especially if you're going to get a defenseman that can actually play with Morgan Riley that is of the opposite hand because Morgan Riley has been playing with left-handed players for the majority of his career, uh, especially this season. I mean... Cody Cece and Tyson Berry were were really the only right-handed shots on this team, and they were definitely not the best options available. So the Leafs moving forward, they need to understand the bigger picture here, and next year, they need that top two defenseman. And again, with um, making this trade, people have been also pointing towards the Leafs maybe making a move to acquire a really big, uh, probably the biggest free agent of this year, and we'll get we'll segue into that with the next trade that we'll talk about, uh, which actually happened earlier this week, as the Montreal Canadiens have acquired Jake Allen and a seventh round pick in 2022 from St. Louis in exchange for a third round and seventh round pick in this year's draft. Now, the thing with Jake Allen is he does have a bit of a bite to his contract. Um, so realistically, I think St. Louis is just dumping his cap to free up room in order to be able to keep Petrangelo in St. Louis. Quite frankly, I think he will stay with the Blues. Um, but that's really a conversation for another day once free agency comes around. But again, you think of Jordan Bennington's two-year extension last summer, $4.4 million. And, uh, you know, Allen... He has one more season left on that four-year contract he signed back in 2016. $4.35 million, so almost the same amount as Bennington is making. And you think about their goaltending prospect in St. Louis, Vili Husso, who is on a two-year one-way contract. He's definitely going to be the backup now for Jordan Bennington. But for Montreal, they now have $15 million invested in goaltending. And the guys on the Steve Dangle podcast brought, brought up a really good point. If you're not... If you're spending $15 million on goaltending, you better be top five or you're going to be an unmitigated disaster. Um, and realistically for Montreal, they better hope that this trade works out in their favor. Again, it's a it's a stable backup in my opinion, but over $4 million on a backup is a little 
bit extreme in my eyes. I think this trade will work out for both sides because St. Louis obviously gets that big salary cap dump and they have a good goaltending prospect on their plate. So I think this works out for both sides. But for Montreal, it could backfire very quickly. Um, what were your thoughts about that trade, Amanda? Because it's a very, very interesting one for both sides. Well, I, it was a very interesting one for both sides for sure. But I think when it comes to Montreal, this is the first time where they've gone out and gotten a, we'll call it a big money backup goaltender in the time that Carey Price has been there. Now, I think that this move is a really big move for the Montreal Canadiens, setting themselves up for success next season. However, if Carey Price doesn't play like Carey Price that we saw during the abbreviated playoffs this season, uh, that could end up being a very big disaster. Like you said, it, the thing with this one is, is that if, if Carey Price plays the way that we know that he is fully capable of playing, it it does give them an opportunity as well because one of the things that that sparked this whole trade was that uh, giving Carey Price a night off during the playoffs was not an option, right? Because no. of the, there wasn't a quote unquote big time, you know, backup goaltender, a viable option exactly. or viable replacement. So having Jake Allen as part of the mix now in Montreal, that gives an opportunity for Kerry to have a couple nights off that, you know, throughout the season, you want to ride your goaltender, but you got to give them some time off and you don't want to put your backup in and basically count that game as a loss. So mm-hmm. this is an opportunity, I think for Montreal to really capitalize and set themselves up for what they would hope to be a playoff run next season. Now, with that being said, that is a lot of money that's tied up, like fourteen point nine million tied up just in on goaltending. That's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> that's all you yeah. can really say. Yeah, that's yeah, it, that, that's it, it, way it, that's too extreme. That's a lot of money. That that's a, a lot, lot of money, money for two goaltenders. But I mean, <laughs> um. Let's talk about the St. Louis side um, in terms of the cap. Now, they don't have a lot of expiring contracts, which is really good for them this year, but next year is going to be very, very problematic. But let's focus on this year specifically. Uh, Jacob De La Rosa, our fake contract is up. Do they renew him or do they let him walk? It's really hard to say. Troy Brower's a UFA. He's on the wrong side of 30. You might want to let him walk, but he's really kind of the only size that you have left. And again, of course, Vince Dunn's an RFA. No question he gets a contract extension in my eyes. He's going to get quite a bit of money. So that could create a problem for St. Louis in terms of, you know, signing Alex Petrangelo. Because really, how much is Petrangelo worth? Because again, he got that $6.5 million contract. But with how he's been playing, especially with that Stanley Cup on his hand, do you think his value increases, and do you think St. Louis has a chance of making it work? You know what? I think that uh, in order to keep him in St. Louis, there's going to need to probably be one more trade made. Uh, mm-hmm. But Pietrangelo has said that he wants to stay as part of the St. Louis Blues organization. So I think it would be very difficult 
to not try and come to the table uh, with an offer that is reasonable. But and that's the thing, right? He's at a point where he wants to negotiate a contract and he's going to need to get paid if he's going to stay in St. Louis. And they definitely are trying to make the moves now in order to be able to make that happen. Uh, You know, obviously dealing Allen, it puts, there's no more questions. I think in anybody's eyes that Bainton is, you know, their goalie that they are moving forward and they are going to put their eggs in that basket. I, I, I guess that's a, not necessarily the best hockey terminology, but I'm sure people understand what you mean. <laughs> but uh, no, I do think that there's going to be one. I would have to say that they're probably going to have to make one to two more moves uh, if they're going to keep Petriangelo. Well, the thing is, with this year and next year, no second round picks. They'll have their first round picks for the next three years. Um, but again, you bring up the point of, you know, do you really have the room to make Petriangelo? Unless you make a couple more moves, and of course, with the goaltending, you know they have to give uh, they have to give their goaltender Ville Husso a chance, and I think he's going to get that opportunity. Now, people would obviously say, you know, maybe bring up Joel Hofer. He still has to develop in the minors, yeah. so I think Ville Husso is definitely the better option moving forward. And again, you look at their prospects. Clem Costin comes to mind. His contract expires in 2022. Uh, you got Alexei Torpchenko in that mix as well. In terms of defense, uh, it's not the greatest looking defensive prospect pool. Uh, I mean, you got Nico Mikola, which I guess is something. Derek Pouliot, that's not exactly the best. Neither is Andreas Borgman. Um, so realistically, going assigning Petrangelo is going to be a task, but I think they can do it. Um, before we move to the Montreal aspect on this, Amanda, I, I need to ask you the question because I said I was going to. With uh, St. Louis moving Jake Allen to Montreal, do you think that puts Toronto out of the running on the Petrangelo sweepstakes? Yes. Yeah, I I think so too. And I think you and I are in agreement. I mean, the Leafs made a great move to free up cap space, but um, realistically going forward, I just don't see Petrangelo in a Leafs uniform. As great as it would be to see him in a Leafs uniform, I just don't think it's going to happen, realistically. Um, so that that's just kind of the way the cookie crumbles. So you, uh, we'll talk about the lease at a later date because there are some other options out there. But obviously, if Petrangelo signs with St. Louis, that's clearly off the table. So I, I'm glad we're both in agreement. I would love to see him play for the lease, but realistically, I just don't think it's going to happen. Now, let's talk about the Montreal side of this trade. And looking at all the draft picks Montreal has is quite ridiculous. They have a first-round pick this year. Uh, These are all their picks from this year, by the way. A first-round pick, their own second, Chicago and St. Louis' second-round pick, their own third, their own fourth, Anaheim and Winnipeg's fourth, their own fifth, Florida's fifth, their own sixth, and Ottawa's seventh-round pick. Um, fair to say that Mark Bergevin is going to be shopping a lot of those picks because um, they got some work to do this offseason. And obviously the biggest question for the uh, Montreal Canadiens is Max Domi. His contract is up. He's an RFA. He's now at 25. Um, and I, I don't think Domi signs for less than four, maybe $5 million dollars. Um, 
but again, you take on that big Jake Allen contract. It expires next season, which is ideal. But again, the fact that you're loading up over $15.6 million on three goaltenders is absolute ludicrousy. And that is beyond words to describe how I feel about it. And not to mention, you're still paying Shea Weber $7.8 million till pretty much the end of time. And again, he's 35 years old. He's going to probably play to the end of that contract. So that eats up some room. Uh, Hudon's RFA contract expires. Dale Weiss's UFA deal is up. Uh, Christian Folan is up. Victor Mete's RFA deal has finished. And Xavier Roulette's RFA deal is finished as well. So for the Montreal Canadiens, um, I'll ask this question much like um, Petrangelo possibly going to the Leafs. Do you see Montreal being able to work out a deal with Max Domi with how much cap room they have? So they might have a lot of cap room, but there's something not right in Montreal between Max Domi and the Montreal Canadiens. It's a really uh, rough relationship by the looks of it. Yeah, it, you know, he's fired his agent. Uh, he has removed any mention of Montreal Canadiens on his social media. Um, makes you wonder, you know, obviously there's a ton of speculation in, in regards to, you know, what's going to happen. Um it does not sound like he has any intent on staying with the Montreal Canadiens. So, sure doesn't look like it. No, I, I just don't think that that is going to really come into play. I, I just think that Domi, um, yeah, I, I'm not so sure. I don't think they're going to get that one done. <laughs> I mean, he put up his best numbers last season with Montreal. There's no doubt about it. Um, but this year was definitely a struggle. It was a struggle for Montreal to begin with. They, again, had no business being in the playoffs. But with the circumstances of today, obviously he, him and Montreal were in the playoffs. And they surprised a lot of people. But Domi was very quiet in the playoffs. And only three assists in ten games, Amanda. It was a minus two. That, that doesn't scream star quality talent in, in my eyes. Not to say Domi's not... A, you know, I don't think he's a star just yet, but he's definitely a good hockey player. Um, I just don't know if we see him in a Canadian's uniform next year, yeah. but I'll pass this question on to you. Who would take a shot at trying to sign Max Domi? Uh, There's no way he's going back to Arizona. I'll just point that out right now. Unless... Unless Taylor Hall signs elsewhere, maybe you can bring back Domi and reunite him with his old teammates. But other than that, it's tough to say. So apparently Domi did meet with Bergevin. Uh, When was this? Friday? Yeah. It looks like he may have met with him Friday. And they're saying that he has obviously a new... um, a new agent who represents also Taylor Hall and Mitch Marner. Uh, so he hmm. went with, what is his name here? Um, Darren Ferris. Okay. So. But I mean, there's a lot of rumors that trade. Taylor Hall might be going to Montreal. There's a lot of rumors saying Hall goes to Montreal. So yeah. What, what, essentially what the article is saying is that uh you know domi they spoke uh really weren't going to comment too much on anything but what they did say is that he did not request a trade out of montreal now if you read a little bit further though it says 
I don't know where this is going to end up, but mm-hmm. which is interesting. Right now he has not requested a trade. So mm-hmm. what? Where does he go? Uh, that's a good question, actually. Because it's, it's hard to predict at this point because God knows what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but and uh, lo- looking he, at Cap Friendly really quickly, there's two teams that don't have cap space as of this moment. That's Arizona and Toronto. Dallas only has $815 of cap space. The team with the most cap space is the New Jersey Devils with over $8.6 million. But... Again, you got to think in the future, New Jersey has to send Jack Hughes to that contract. What's hap- what happens with P.K. Subban in the future for New Jersey? Um, the bottom five teams with the most cap space uh, belongs to New Jersey with the most at 8.6, Ottawa at 7.1, Los Angeles at 6.9, the Avalanche at 5.3, and Columbus with just over $5 million in cap space. Do you see any of those teams possibly cashing in on Max Domi? No. Really? No. So who no, do you think, think would be the best? What market do you think he wants to really, really contribute to? Because he's tried Arizona. It clearly didn't work. And again, I think Montreal did win that trade at the time because Galchenyuk didn't last long in Arizona and then got flipped to Minnesota almost instantly. And that trade did not work. So that was a win for Montreal, but over the long term, I just don't see Max being in Montreal. So I just don't know what team takes that chance on him, especially considering if they have cap space moving forward. It's definitely not the Canadians. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I'm going to answer that question next week, and I'm going to do a little bit of research and just kind of see where I feel... Get- that was a tough question because Max Domi is a very um, passionate. <laughs> yeah, like he's a different kind of player, right? So, yeah. and that's not going to fit with every single team. Now, do guys hate playing against him? Yeah, absolutely. And those ki- those are the kind of guys that you want to have on on your team. Mm-hmm. But you got to make sure that everything's jiving right so yeah make sure all the puzzles fit uh, yeah, puzzle pieces fit correctly yeah. it's strange because i never felt like montreal was the right place for him in the first place especially considering who his father is it's weird to see ty in a montreal <laughs> uniform <laughs> i don't like uh, it uh i think that there are better options out there for him. And I think, yeah, yeah I, I can't see him staying in Montreal. No, especially considering they're, you know, committing over $15 million to three goaltenders. That price contract's not looking that great. I get it's Carey Price. He's probably the best goalie in the world, but that's a lot of money for a guy that gets injured consistently. But again, with his playoff performance this year, if he stays healthy, he's going to be the top goaltender for a very long time. But I just think... As soon as Montreal acquired him, I had a feeling his time with the Canadiens was going to be short. Now, again, we could be proven completely wrong this upcoming fall, but only time is really going to tell. And I just don't think that Domi is going to stay as a Canadian for the long term, especially considering he's an RFA. So I'll I'll let you save your answer for next week. I'll make sure to bring it up. I'll let you do your research. But let's move on to something not related to the NHL. We'll get back to the playoffs in a moment. 
But some big local news happening, and I know you have been gearing up to talk about this since I brought the news up to your attention. Um, a few years back, uh, the city had voted, um, you know, on whether to have a new arena downtown or Ontario Zulich's proposed site uh, just off the Kingsway across from Levike Street, a.k.a. the Kingsway Entertainment District. Now, there was a local entrepreneur by the name of Tom Fortin who had rejected the proposal and decided to gather up a bunch of other downtown developers and challenge uh, this uh, the decision that was made by the city to move forward with the Kingsway Entertainment District. Um, and this has been a long legal battle for so many years, Amanda. This arena was supposed to be built by this year at the earliest, next year at the very latest, and it has been delayed for almost, what, five years now, give or take? It's yeah. been far, far too long, but... Earlier this week, because this had to be taken to a superior court here in Sudbury, there is a humongous development that has just come out a couple days ago, and this is something that I have been waiting to hear for a very, very long time. The city has, and the superior court has ruled against Tom Fortin's movement uh, by delaying these legal challenges and rules in favor of Dario Zulich and the Kingsway Entertainment District. And now the bylaws are going to be approved. And moving forward, Zulich is one step closer to building the Kingsway Entertainment District. And this move, uh, or this move, this announcement made me smile from ear to ear. And just to see that they're finally going to take a one step closer to making this happen is absolutely fantastic news. And chalk up another victory for Dario Zulich because, again, his whole idea about this was great at the beginning. It was a great vision, but then, of course, someone had to come ruin the party. And now Tom Fortin looks like a fool because he lost this case that he's been battling for so many years. And now he's refusing to comment because he got caught with his pants down. And now... He has cost the city millions and millions of dollars and multiple years of their time when this arena could have been built and now it's going to move forward. And I want to get your opinion, Amanda, because right now I am still smiling ear to ear because this is not just good news for the city of Sudbury, but it could possibly mean that the Wolves do stay in Sudbury for a very long time and could have a very beautiful looking arena in the near future well and like you said ideally i think we were going to be in for the 2021 season and it obviously is not going to happen at this point <laughs> uh but this was something that was supposed to go ahead years ago and because of tom forte and the the group that was behind him i uh, it didn't happen. It, this has been tied up in courts for the last several years. And it is, has been a colossal waste of city's time, taxpayers' money. Uh, and, you know, really, at the end of the day, all that it did was prolong the inevitable from happening. Yeah. Uh, you know, his case was never really that solid. <laughs> it was uh, terrible. It was absolutely atrocious. You know, it's a really comes down to somebody being really bitter. Um, I've had lots of 
issues with um, the arena debate. Uh, I sat on a task force uh, with the Chamber of Commerce uh, here in Sudbury, uh, specifically about uh, the Kingsway Entertainment District, and uh, or at the time it was the new arena. Where where are we going to go, and where do we want to support uh, as a business community? And I was the only person who voted around that table to have it at the Kingsway Entertainment site. I didn't know uh, that. Everyone else was downtown, and <laughs> um, there was a major conflict of interest on that particular board or that committee because the person that chaired the board actually owned a business downtown mm. and of course did not want my vote to count because then it would look like it wasn't unanimous well it wasn't unanimous i no. i was very adamant that i felt um it was very uh, i have to be careful how i say this <laughs> it was very small-minded as a group by putting it downtown and I explained to them why. And I said, you know, if you look at other sporting arenas and that have done really well, your downtown, it, it limits, you're very limited in your space because it can only be an arena. It cannot be an event center. It cannot be because of the size restrictions, obviously that we would have, with a downtown location, you know how tight everything is downtown as it is. Boy, do uh, I ever. Yeah. You know, then they were talking about uh, parking. Well, there's ample parking downtown. There is, but when you look at how they map it out, if you were within like a 10 minute walk, that was considered a parking space available for you to use for a game. And our downtown core in Sudbury, uh, I would not call it the safest. Nope. Um, nope. I And I had multiple conversations, you know, around this table with them. And I said, I'm somebody that's involved. Like we, at the time I had started with Eastlink. So I was, you know, at the games working. At the end of the night, I'm walking out into not necessarily the best lit, uh, you know, walkways and, and streets um, by myself, or sometimes I would have Colby with me because he would come to the games with me. And I, when they said, well, you can park, you know, downtown, you could park at the, the rainbow center. I'm not walking at 10 30 or 11 o'clock at night with my son who at the mm -mm. time was like five, six, uh, you know, because he's been up late on a, on a Friday night to come to the game with mom. Um, but when you're a single mom, that's kind of what you have to do and you just make it work. And, mm -hmm. um, but I was not doing that. And I explained, you know, I don't feel safe. I don't feel safe walking downtown. Nobody does night. really. And it's not, it's not just a Sudbury issue. That's not just a downtown Sudbury issue. Uh, but it is, very much a problem here in this city um you know i could not believe though that the the mindset was just well no this is it's got to go downtown the only place it can go is downtown i'm like 
But if you build it out here, it can be this. Mm-hmm. It can attract It can be so more. much more. It can attract more. And that's the thing. And I, I remember having some really good conversations with um, Dario and Andrew Dale at the time was working on that project with, with Dario and talking about what could be. And Dario obviously is a big vision kind of guy, right? Like he, mm-hmm. I want this. And if we build this, they are going to come. And, but he, as a businessman, he's able to back that up, right? So, yep. you know, we had had some conversations about what potentially could come along with just an event center or, you know, or an arena that maybe might have a second pad off the side. Uh, or now we've got the casino that that obviously has committed to coming as part of that Kingsway Entertainment District. But he was looking at hotel chains that were willing to come and build in Sudbury that we don't have that caliber of hotel here right now as it stands, but they were willing to kind of make an investment into the city. And that was one of my biggest selling points on, on all of that was that long-term the growth potential was exponential. Mm -hmm. Whereas long-term the growth potential, if that arena went downtown well, what you see is what you get. Yeah. It, the, you can't add on to the downtown core. You can't just suddenly have, you know, X amount of businesses that are now rushing to the downtown because there's only so much space downtown. Whereas when you build somewhere where it, yes, it's a little bit on the outskirts of town, but let's be honest, I think it's maybe eight minutes from where the arena is right now down the Kingsway to the new you know proposed site it's like 10 15 minutes on a bad day from my house it's a five minute drive that's nothing yeah. that no, is and nothing for me for work you know i always when we go to games uh friday nights or we're you know involved obviously i uh, in in the home games um a lot of times i just leave straight from work and so for me it's gonna be great because i work on Falconbridge. so there you go uh <laughs> it's nice and close but I just felt like it was not the right decision to go downtown because I felt like it could never really be anything more than really what we have right now. And what we have right now isn't enough to attract a a Memorial Cup bid. You have to have a certain amount of seats in order to be able to even make the bid. Uh, And our arena as it stands right now, even if, because obviously at the time there were options to, um, to refurb the arena again it's back on the table again you know there's a group that oh let's do it this way and it it's great that you want to do some of those things and and put money into an old arena but at the end of the day it's still an old arena and there's a corner of that arena that is sinking into the ground that they have to spend money on every single year to make sure that basically the arena doesn't get swallowed up Mm -hmm. (laughs) so come on people like think beyond this and what we have and and really kind of expand and but I find Sudbury as a whole okay well we have it like this okay then it can be like this like there's no big thinkers I find when it comes to the city it's it's okay nope we're doing it this way this is how it's going to be it's always been this way uh and that's all there is to it and I think the Kingsway Entertainment District is just going to end up being a world-class you know arena space concert venue um 
attract the type of businesses that are going to spend money in the community, hire people from the community and long-term growth exponential in my Mm -hmm. opinion. And I totally agree. I'm totally in agreement with you. This is something that the city has been needing to move forward on for so many years. But of course, legally, they have to give Fortin the opportunity to try and appeal to this decision. But again, like like the regional senior judge uh, Ellie said, that he failed to establish that there was any statutory breach or that he was denied common law procedure fairness in the process leading up to the passage of the KED bylaws. This is coming from the CBC's website uh, because they did a full report on it. They've been trying to follow this uh, thing since the minute it began. And Daryl Zulich, who, of course, owns uh, Zulich Enterprises, Tesk, uh, the Water Tower, of course, the Kingsway Entertainment District, and uh, Subbywell Sports and Entertainment, he released an immediate uh, statement saying... um, you know, that the support court of justice met and ruled against the legal challenge by Tom Fortin. And he said, and I quote, it's now time for us all to put this behind us and work together to grow greater Sudbury. And Daryl could not have said it any better. We need to move forward from this. Yes, it was a long legal process that is delayed the city by another five years, but we can now look to the future and finally get one step closer to having this arena uh, finally be built and not just an arena but an entertainment district um, that can attract more than just a hockey audience this is something that the city has been needing for so damn long and if Sudbury wasn't already on the map this entertainment district is going to put Sudbury on the map even more people are going to be traveling all over Canada just to come see this place when it's finally built and again, obviously, there's still a couple more steps that has to be taken. It's not immediate that they're going to start putting shovels in the ground. But this is the biggest step for them. And I think finally they got this out of the way. And now Daryl can finally live up to um, you know, what he's been talking about over the last few years of wanting to build this. And just have Sudbury really be the epicenter uh, and entertainment capital of Northern Ontario. And for me... For Tom Fortin to delay this project really grinded my gears. And I personally think he should have to pay all that taxpayer uh, taxpayer money, all of the legal fees that the city wasted on his lawn and treacherous uh, f- legal fight in this because he did not win this case. He came up a loser, just to put it straightforward. He came up a loser in this in this battle. Daryl leads on the scoreboard one to nothing against Tom Fortin. And, you know, my mom has known Dario since high school. And Dario is, like you said, a businessman. He's a friend. He's a great owner for this hockey team. And he's really turned not just the team around, but the entire city around. And for him to finally have this be put away, I think it's a humongous burden off his shoulders. And now for Fortin to basically be out of the way, finally the city can start to grow again. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that we are finally taking those steps forward because this whole, you know, caught up in the legal system for the last several years has just been major steps back. And, you know, now that we can really look ahead, I think, I hope that when this goes to council, everything is, you know, let's move forward. Let's get this done. Let's put this behind us and move forward. 
God forbid we delay this another five years because I don't have that kind of patience for that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so before let's move back to the NHL before we move forward to the upcoming conference finals. Let's look back on the second round that was. Uh, we didn't get to talk about uh, the second round as much because, of course, last week we didn't have an episode. But now we have a opportunity to talk about the second round because it is now officially done as of last night. Let's get to the Eastern Conference first. The Flyers and the Islanders. This series was startling from the start. The Islanders right out of the gate with a 4-0 win in Game 1. Uh, Philly was able to bounce back with an OT win, but then the Islanders would win two straight to make it a 3-1 series lead and really put the pressure on the Flyers. And the thing for Philly is that all their wins, Amanda, came in overtime. This team failed to win in regulation, and as soon as Game 4 was over, I knew that Philadelphia was in trouble because they failed to compete in regulation time. They had been outscored by more than two goals um, in, I'm trying to do the math here, the only game they didn't lose the game by a goal, by more than a goal, was in game four, which was 3-2. The other games have been multiple goal deficits, and Philly just struggled offensively in game six and seven, because the shot totals were absolutely outrageous, because the Islanders were throwing up 50 shots, well, Philadelphia had like 15 or 20 at the time and somehow were able to win in overtime on three separate occasions. But after all is said and done, the Islanders prove that they are built to be a cup contender. And I'm, I, I had my doubts about this Islanders team going forward. And for them to knock out a well-rounded Philadelphia team is one hell of an accomplishment. And for the Islanders to win this series and advance to the conference finals for the first time since 1993 speaks volumes for how far forward this franchise has really been going. Yeah, and you know what? I think that for this series, um, you know, Philadelphia just did not play to their potential. Um, you know, they went 0 for 13 on the power play uh, against the Islanders in that series. And you're not going to win hockey games when your special teams aren't scoring. And the other part for me, too, is that, you know, if you look at their top five, yeah, top five scores from the regular season. So we're talking about uh, Travis Konechny, Kevin Hay, Sean Couturier, Claude Giroux, and James Van Riesdyk all had 19 goals plus on the regular season. Uh, combined, they only had eight goals against the Islanders. Mm-hmm. You know, those are guys that you need to get your team going, especially at this point. And they, they just didn't. Uh, they really struggled against the Islanders. And... Yeah, it wasn't the Philadelphia Flyers that we saw in the first round, that's for sure. No, not even close. No, no. Um, you know, an interesting fact about this series is that the Flyers were credited with 104 giveaways against the Islanders. <laughs> they deserve to lose that series, I'm sorry, but yeah. they deserve to lose that series. <laughs> and, the, and for them to only win the games in overtime, I just think proved 
how lucky they were to actually have that series go all the way. Because this series could have ended a whole lot quicker than it did. Like, they, yeah. honestly, after putting up a goose egg of game one, I'm surprised they were still in this series and were able to come back. Because, again, they had to take the Islanders to overtime to do it. Overtime in game five and then double overtime on game six. But then come game seven, New York repeats game one and blows them out. Yeah. And honestly, for Philadelphia, there were so many high expectations, especially for me. I favored them throughout the entire playoffs to make the final. I predicted them in Vegas in the final. But they came up short in game seven and really short because, again, they didn't, like you said, they didn't play to their potential. No. And for any Flyers fans that are hearing this, I'm sorry, but your team did not live up to the expectations that you had on your plate. Don't get me wrong. Carter Hart was fantastic throughout these playoffs, but he got left out to dry and just roast and get lit up night after night. And that's inexcusable for a young goaltender of his potential. Well, and like, you know what? It's just Carter, inexcusable. Carter Hart really proved that he is the franchise goalie moving oh, forward. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But what happens next with this team, though, Amanda? Like, the amount of people on Twitter that are saying, move on from Voracek, move on from Giroux, move on from JVR. What happens next with this team? Because while I agree they should move on from Voracek because he doesn't fit that team well, do you really give up on Giroux, your leader on this team? You need someone like Giroux because not only can he score... He can fight when he needs to. He is that fighter type of captain that Philadelphia needs. Yeah. No, I, I would agree with you. I don't think that that is the solution. I think that um, Philly has a lot of the key parts in place. And, you know, they had young defensemen stepping up. Uh, obviously, we got to touch on Oscar Lindblom's return. Uh, I forgot to mention that, that yes. You know, I, I, I think the future is very bright for the Philadelphia Flyers. I did not obviously pick the Islanders to win this series. Nor did um, I. But uh, I, yeah, I think their their key pieces are already there. I don't think that they need to make a lot of movement on this hockey club. I do think that um, they fell short in this round. There's no question. I, I just think personally, I, I just personally think they lacked defensively, at least for maybe a couple players. Because for them, for them, I mean, Provorov and Sanheim are good defensemen, but Sanheim struggled in Game Six and Seven. He was committing turnovers left and right, and it was highly concerning for me. Yeah, and you know, for Provorov especially, the amount of times he's gone down was very troubling, and. <laughs> Uh, just for Philly to just come up empty in game seven was very disappointing, especially the way they, you know, they fought back to come down from three, one in the series and then just lay a ginormous goose egg in game seven Saturday night was just embarrassing for me. And again, you and I predicted both that the Flyers would win the series. I said in six and you were damn close to having the only perfect prediction of round two. But again, Philly fell short, and just watching the game last night was disappointing because Philadelphia was getting outplayed in every aspect. But again, Hart was left out to dry. It's not his fault. No, no, not at all. 
I, not at all. I, I, I don't know where Philadelphia goes moving forward. Obviously, maybe you don't keep some players, but you have great talent for the future. You got, again, like you mentioned, Oscar Lundbaum. To, to touch on him quickly, to see him come back and actually play was it almost brought tears to my eyes. And I said, if he cries, I am going to be a so- a sobbing mess. I'm going to leave puddles of tears on the floor if he scores. I was hoping he would. Unfortunately, he didn't. But the amount of respect for him in that handshake line when the series was over was truly heartwarming. And those are the kind of stories you love to see. I still think that Oscar Lindblom will be um, the award winner for... Um, for the Bill Masterton. There's no doubt in my mind he wins the Masterton at the end of the year. Um, you know, Philly still has Travis Konechny going forward, Ivan Provorov, Travis Sanham, and of course, Carter Hart. There's no doubt this team is very promising going forward in the future, but obviously there's a few pieces that they need to move on from, and I think Voracek is at the epicenter of that. His time in Philly has been long, but I think it's time to move on from him because... A lot of people brought up a good point. He doesn't fit this system anymore, especially with Alain Vigneault behind the bench. I just don't think it works out. Yeah, I, you know, you make a valid point there for sure. And again, it comes, what are the moves that they are going to make this offseason? And what are they going to do to prep for next season? Because I think that there's so many key parts that are already in place, but just fine-tuning a little bit. And I think that Philadelphia has a really bright future moving forward because they have a team that is loaded with some pretty young talent and I think that they are going to be a team that are always going to be in the talk of those top teams in the NHL for yeah. years to come yeah mm-hmm. I, I I still personally think they're going to be contenders next year do they make the cup final it's hard to say at this point because obviously there's going to be some changes but they're still a really competitive team in my eyes, and I just think they need to build a better core around Carter Hart. It was good, but it wasn't good enough, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Now, moving on to the next series, and this one was not even close compared to the rest of this playoffs. The Lightning just bouncing the Bruins in five, and I mean they bounced them. Ever since game one, Tampa Bay took Full freaking control, man. And I'm not surprised they won this series. But keep in mind that this is the Boston team that absolutely trounced. And, and I mean this when I say it. They, they trounced the Carolina Hurricanes. I thought the Bruins were going to go farther than they, were, than they were allegedly supposed to. But Boston just came out swinging and missing. Ever after game one, they look good in game one, but then of course game two comes along. Don't even get me started on game three. That was an absolute disaster. Uh, and then of course it was just Tampa all the way. And for Tampa to do this without Steven Stamkos is pretty damn impressive. But again, they have the talent to be able to pull it off with or without Steven Stamkos. Now, Amanda, you and I predicted the series to go a little bit longer. You said the Lightning in six, so you were one game off. I personally thought the Lightning were going to take this in seven, but Boston just did not show up in game three. And as soon as game three was over, I said, you know, this team's basically dead in the water because, again, Tuukka Rast left the bubble because of family concerns um, and just putting Halak in that spot 
was obviously tough. He did play very well, in my opinion. But just the rest of the Boston team collapsed. And after Game 3, I knew this series was over. I don't know what your opinion about that this series is. But for me, I'm not surprised Tampa was the winner. I'm definitely not surprised. We had both picked Tampa. I do think that we both thought that Boston was going to be a bit more in this series. than You would they... think they'd put up a fight. Yeah. Uh, that was not the Bruins that we saw that is for sure I think it's a testament though to you know give credit where credit is due Tampa uh, to me is the team to beat obviously in the east now now that we are down to Tampa and the Islanders uh, I don't see the Islanders making it out of this next series so um, we'll get more into predictions in a little bit but uh mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I'm not surprised, but at the same time, we did think that it was going to be a, definitely a bit longer of a series. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, like Tampa, <laughs> the thing with Tampa too, that coming into this next series that you have to wonder is they've now had, they've been off since Monday, I think Monday was the last time they played. I believe so. so yeah. Sunday, yes. Monday. They've been off for so, a while. Yeah, and they don't play until tomorrow because a full week. Is, yeah. Now, does that hurt them though? I don't think so. Into the Islanders series because Islanders obviously have all that momentum, you know, in their locker room at this point. But um, plus, only... there's a move. You have to move to Edmonton now. They're yeah. they're making the move from the bubble in Toronto to Edmonton. Uh, I don't know. They only have a day to do so. I, I, uh, The Islanders are not going to be as well-rested, and especially no. that move into a different time zone is definitely going to play a huge factor. For sure, for sure. I think that the time off, I think you're going to see a bit of a rusty Tampa team in the first you know, couple shifts for some guys, or maybe even the first period. Call it the first period. Uh, but I think that Tampa's going to come out swinging, though, and... They are going to win this next series mm -hmm. without question in my mind. Um, now, some news that I just got on uh, on our Twitter. By the way, follow us uh, on Twitter at DeekGeeksPod. Uh, John Cooper says that Stamkos will not be available for the Easter Conference Final against the Islanders. He will update people if that status does change. Uh, Kucherov will be a bit available for Game 1. Jan Ruda is not available. We'll get into... Um, that matchup in just a moment, but let's move on now to the Western Conference part of things. Both series going to Game Sevens, and uh, yet again, um, we see teams that have a three to one series lead, and then essentially blow that lead, but do come out victorious. Let's start first with the Golden Knights and Canucks. Now, let me say right off the bat, Vegas looked like the strongest team. At the start of this series, a humongous 5 nothing blowout. This already had a lot of people concerned, but then Vegas um, kind of flatlined in Game 2, losing 5-2. But then from there, it was not as close. Game 3 was a 3 nothing win for the Knights. 5-3 win for the Knights in Game 4. It was then a 3-1 series lead. But then here's when the series shifts, Amanda. And I love this storyline because... Thatcher Demko comes in and almost steals this series for the Canucks. 
2-1 win in Game 5, a 4-0 shutout victory in Game 6, only gives up a goal in Game 7, but gets the loss in a 3-0 trouncing in Game 7. In my opinion, Thatcher Demko made this series longer than it should have been. The Canucks had no business being anywhere close in this series after Game 2 because they were outplayed in almost every single aspect. The offense was failing to show up. The defense was non-existent. But then Thatcher Demko comes in and absolutely steals the spotlight from Jacob Markstrom and kept Vancouver's season longer than it should have been. And keep in mind... None of these games went to overtime. All games finished in regulation. And Thatcher Demko's stat line is absolute bonkers. He played in those three games. And his stat line at the end, if you can believe it, a .64 goals against average, .985 save percentage, and a shutout with a 2-1 record. Was he the difference maker for the Canucks to actually still be alive in this series? Absolutely, because I think you you kind of nailed it there with they had no business in this series. Now, they made this series one heck of a series, though. This was so much fun to watch. Um, I think that Vancouver, obviously, they did far better than anyone expected them to. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, and this is a young team and there was talk of them like and we've we've talked about this before where the perception was in maybe two to three years time, this would be exactly where the Vancouver Canucks would be, um, you know, potentially even playing in a conference finals, playing playing for the cup, uh, but certainly not where we thought that be at this point um, right now. That's for sure. Man, I think ultimately they made this a series. They they really put it to Vegas, and it definitely gave Vegas, I think, a taste of what's to come because I do believe it's going to be Vegas in, in the finals mm-hmm. um, against Tampa. Uh, but, man, yeah. This was an outstanding series for me. Now, the interesting thing for Vancouver moving forward is, and we'll talk about Vegas in just a moment, but do you see Jacob Marshall being the starter next year just based off the three games that Thatcher Demko played? Now, keep in mind, this was the first playoff experience for Thatcher Demko in the NHL, but for me, he exceeded expectations. He came in, stole the show, and only gave up a collective two goals in those three games he played. And for me, Thatcher Demko is the future for this franchise. I think that Demko is definitely the future for the franchise. And I think that the Vancouver Canucks players know that he is the future of this franchise because even Horvat had said, uh, I can't remember word for word, but basically like we're, we're here and he's given us this opportunity and we wouldn't be here without him at Mm -hmm. this point. So um, I think that collectively you got to look at it for next season. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I personally think Demko is the future. Now, again, the debates there of Markstrom sticks around, but again, you have Michael DiPietro down in the American hockey league. Yeah. 
I could see them being the two going forward between DiPietro and Demko. Um, but for Markstrom, you know, obviously the big storyline for him this year with what's been going on in his personal life obviously played a big factor, especially with today's circumstances. But the the rest of the team around him just didn't really help any either of their goalies out. They didn't help Markstrom and they didn't help Demko in Game 7. In all all the games that Demko played, in Game 5, 6, and 7, Vegas was out shooting Vancouver, if I'm not mistaken, every single game. But Demko was the reason why the floodgates were not opened. And for me, I think that's a good way to prove yourself moving forward. And this real youth movement with guys like Carter Hart and um, Thatcher Demko coming in and really proving that they can play with the big boys at such a young age. And just for me, I think it would be more essential for Vancouver to stick with Damco in the future. That's obviously not my decision moving forward. But I just think Demko proved that he is still capable of being that goaltender that they saw a few years ago. And that's the reason why I think Demko needs to be the number one guy moving forward. Yeah, definitely uh, some discussions, obviously, that are going to take place this offseason with with what they're going to do next year between the pipes. And, you know, Game 7 was was all Vegas. And oh, yeah. You, we can't fault him in Game 7 because Vegas outshot Vancouver 36-14. to 14. He gave up one uh, goal. He gave up one goal. So, yes, the final, it was 3 nothing, but those were two empty net goals. So. Mm-hmm. Um, which you can't blame him for. He's on the bench. Absolutely <laughs> not. Absolutely not. No, uh, he was outstanding. He truly was. Yeah. And he, he gave Vancouver a shot at upsetting a team that most likely is going to be playing for the cup. Yeah. For the second time in three years, how yeah. insane would that be for an expansion team? Absolutely crazy. <laughs> Let's move on to the final Western Conference matchup from round two. The Avalanche and the Stars. This one um, was very surprising in my eyes. And again, that 3-1 to one series lead trend played out. Uh, Dallas looked like the better team. But again, with Colorado, they ran into injury trouble. Uh, they lost Philip Grubauer. And then they lose Landeskog for Game 7. And it was not good news for Colorado. I mean, they stuck they stuck around uh, and really put up a big fight. But again, the Avalanche fell short. And it, much like them and the Flyers, two of the best teams from the respective conferences that just could not, you know, uh, put too much reliance on their goaltender and just couldn't produce as they should have been defensively because game one and game two were not a great start for the Avalanche being outscored 10 to five. And then game three, Colorado was able to put up uh, a much better effort with a six, four win, but then Dallas wins game four puts Colorado on the brink, but then out come the Avalanche winning games five and six, six to three and four, one respectively. But then again, game seven was the, decisive winner and obviously the big highlight Amanda aside from the injuries and obviously there were two different storylines for Colorado was the emergence of Michael Hutchinson coming in as the backup at the start but emerging 
and really starting to show his true colors and perform to the best of his ability. I don't know where this was when he was in Toronto, but otherwise good for him that he actually showed up when it really mattered. But then on the other side on Dallas was a kid by the name of Joel Kivaranta who scored his first NHL hat trick in his first ever playoff game. And that hat trick is capped off by the overtime winner. And for him to do that is absolutely astonishing because, again, he hasn't played a single game since uh, that one game against Calgary. And then before that was back against St. Louis, he had only played one game leading up to... He had only played two games in the month of August leading up to this game on Friday night. And for him to come out the way he did in Game 7 and basically piggyback the Stars onto the conference final is stuff that you just love to see at this time of year. Well, when you get a hat trick from a guy who's replacing somebody who's injured uh, and was part of your reserve list in the bubble, man, what a storyline, right? And those are the things that are fun to get to talk about because that's not a storyline that comes about every week, right? Mm -mm. Um, When it comes to Colorado, when Grubauer went down, my immediate thought was, this series is going to go very quickly for yeah. Dallas. Now, sure look like it. You know, kudos to the Colorado Avalanche for for sticking in to Game Seven, considering that not only did their starter go down, their backup went down, and then they had to put in Hutchinson as a third string goaltender. You know, I think overall, just the injuries that the Avalanche could not overcome the injuries to their their top players and I think that that was the difference in this series because if Grubauer was healthy based on his play up until that point not to say that he wouldn't have faltered but you know okay he falters for a game or two but you're still in that series um I think the conversation would be very different and we would be talking about Dallas going home yeah I I <laughs> I'm in agreement and I'm still in shock of how how this entire second round played out aside from the Lightning and Bruins for three collective teams to blow a 3-1 series lead but then come together and end up winning game 7 anyway is just a ridiculous storyline and I was I should say I was hoping for one of these teams to blow the lead because I would love to see this improbable comeback but for them to actually be able to hang on is really special. And for Dallas to do that, considering how their uh, how their round robin went, and then they just embarrassed the Calgary Flames the way they did, I think shows that Dallas, last year, their run before running into St. Louis was not a fluke. I really don't think it was a fluke. I think this team, even without Ben Bishop being in the lineup, is capable of doing something special. But the question is, do they get out of the conference final? I don't know, and we'll get into those predictions in a moment. But for Dallas to get over this hurdle and beat a very young but very good Colorado team is definitely something very special. Now, before we move on to our conference final predictions, I just want to talk about Colorado quickly. I don't see any changes really coming for them in the future. 
Um, because again, you've got Nate McKinnon, you got Gable Aniskog, Miko Rantanen, Connor Timmons is starting to emerge. You got Kale McCarr. I mean, what else can you say about Kale McCarr? Philip Grubauer has proven to be a starter in this league. Nazem Kadri having one hell of a playoff push for the mm-hmm. Avalanche. I miss him so much. Uh, but this Colorado team, I don't really see them making any major shakeups. Maybe a couple minor trades. Maybe get some draft picks back. But I don't see anything happening with this Colorado team in the offseason. And I don't think that there should be. There shouldn't. They, they, no. they definitely played very well. Did they come up short? Obviously. But again, with all the injuries, you can't predict that these injuries are indeed going to happen. So I just think it was bad timing for Colorado. And I think they could have had the chance to go to the conference final. But again, injuries obviously play a huge factor. And that definitely uh, deferred their potential to maybe make the conference final. All right, Amanda, let's move into our favorite bit of the show and uh, something that has definitely been, um, you know, talked about by a few people because we gave out some pretty interesting predictions. Um, In round two, you and I again tied, uh, this time going two for eight. We both predicted the Lightning and Knights to win their series, but unfortunately our game durations did come up short. Um, Even your Knights prediction was really close. We both said Knights in six, but... Our prediction was off, but now we move into the Eastern and Western Conference Finals. Let's start in the East. It's the number two Tampa Bay Lightning against the number six New York Islanders, and this series gets underway on Labor Day Monday, which is tomorrow, Uh, and of course, Tampa and New York are now heading to Edmonton uh, as the Conference Final and Stanley Cup Final will shift to the Edmonton Hub uh, starting tonight, actually, with the Western Conference. We'll get into that in just a moment. But let's talk about the Eastern Conference first, the Lightning and the Islanders. Um, this is going to make for one hell of a series. I don't really think this is going to be one-sided. I hope it's not one-sided because I don't think it'll be that interesting. Um, but for me, for Tampa, again, not having uh, Steven Stamkos them getting Kucherov back, though, is really important. Jan Ruta's not a major loss, but it definitely has to mean that you shake up the roster a little bit. But for Tampa Bay moving forward, I don't see them losing this series because, you know, last year was obviously not their year. We all know the storyline from last season. No, Not as many people want to talk about it, especially if you're a Tampa Bay fan. But for them to rebound the way they are after last year's disappointing exit is definitely inspirational for them. And it's keeping John Cooper's job security in check here. Because if he got bounced in the first round again, or even in the qualifiers for that matter, or no, not even the qualifiers, in the first round, if they were to get bounced again, I think Cooper would have been out. But now that the Lightning are in this position against a very good New York Islanders team... I already know what my prediction is, and I see this series probably going the distance because, again, these are two very offensively heavy teams with goaltending that has somewhat maintained consistency. But again, you brought up the point of Tampa not playing for almost a full week. For the Islanders, it's a really quick turnaround. They're going into a different time zone, a different bubble they've never been in before, and ice they've never stepped on before. It's the same thing for the Lightning, but again, the Lightning got that week's worth of rest. Could that work to their advantage or disadvantage? We'll have to find out tomorrow, but I'm going to say Tampa Bay takes this series in seven games. Amanda, I'll throw the, I'll pass the torch on to you. 
Who do you see coming out of this series and heading to the cup final as the Eastern Conference's representative? So even a Tampa team without Steven Stamkos available to them uh, for the Eastern Conference finals, I am still taking Tampa in six. Wow. Tampa in six. All right. So yeah. I will have to um, make that noted. So I say the Lightning in seven. You are agreeing Tampa Bay's moving on, but you're saying in six. That's right. Okay. Uh, what's your reasoning behind it? Because I am interested to know. Uh, so I didn't give the Islanders any chance at even being in the position that they're in right now. Uh, so I feel like I need to to give them a couple games in this series, but I just think that Tampa is way too strong uh, overall. And I think that the pieces are there in their lineup to make a push for the final. Mm-hmm. And I, even though Stamkos isn't available, I, I just can't see them not winning this series. And I think that Tampa is going to make, quite honestly, I was originally going to pick Tampa in five, and I'm like, nah, I'm going to take one more game. Yeah. Um, but I, I do think that Tampa is going to make quick work of the Islanders. I wouldn't be surprised if this, this series is over much quicker than six. Um. Now, I, I want to throw out a bit of a different question that I haven't really asked uh, considering that this is the conference finals and we're getting close to the Stanley Cup final, I want to do a bit of a new segment uh, as part of our predictions. I want to, I want us to pick who is going to be the shining star for I, for both teams uh, moving forward into this conference final. Uh, I'll ask for yours first for both teams. So I just want you to pick a player that you think is going to be the difference maker for either side, whether they win or lose the series. If that makes any sense. Okay. <laughs> uh, uh, give me a second. I am going to think about that for a minute. Okay. Um, because I want to make sure I, I pick the right person. You so want me to give you mine give first then? Uh, sure. Go ahead. Okay. Um, in terms of difference makers in this series, first I'll start with the Islanders. Um, Obviously, the Islanders have a lot of good forward depth for them, and they obviously have a lot of shining stars. Gabriel Peugeot, uh, Jean-Gabriel Peugeot has been amazing this playoffs. Bovillier has really stepped it up. But the guy for me that I think is really going to be the backbone for this series and could possibly have the Islanders pulling off the upset, it has to be Matt Barzell. Because this kid, uh, you know, despite taking two pucks to the head in warm-ups on consecutive nights... Um, he's still playing as a superstar for this team and he's definitely going to provide the majority of the offense for the Islanders. Now on the other side of things for Tampa, for me, obviously they do have a few options and I think the easy choice would be to pick Nikita Kucherov, but for me, their goaltending is going to be very important. So I think Vasilevsky, if he was to prove that he is a Vesna candidate this year, and should win the Vesna, he needs to come out and perform this year and make sure that this Tampa team does not come up short again like they did last year. So for me, in Tampa, Vasilevsky, for the Islanders, Barzell, those are my difference makers in this series. Uh, you know what? I think I'm actually going to agree with you about Barzell. And then I 
am in agreement with what you said about Tampa, but I think I'm going to go with the more obvious choice of Nikita Kucherov. I think, you know, he, obviously he was injured in Gabe Fies against the Bruins, but I think that he has that. He needs to step up in a way that is going to propel them to get them to the finals. And I think he is the one that has the ability to do that. Mm-hmm. And again, for Tampa to get him back is obviously very huge going into probably their most important series since they made the finals against the Blackhawks a few years back. So for, um, I I totally respect your choice. And again, I was going to make the obvious pick, but I just think Vasilevsky needs to step up his game even more now because this is by far um, his biggest test that he's had because, I mean, he has been fantastic but he's not the same Vasilevsky that we've seen over the last couple of years. I think he can really step up his game to another level. And I really think that he will be the difference maker for Tampa moving forward. Now, again, I did say the series goes seven. It will go seven, but between Varlamov and Vasilevsky, I just think Vasilevsky is the better goaltender moving forward, but it's still going to be two offensive powerhouses going up against one another. And I think for Kucherov, this is a good testament for him to really get back into his groove and start firing on all cylinders. No, absolutely. I agree with you. All right. So we now have our Eastern Conference predictions locked in. I have predicted the Lightning in seven. Amanda says the Lightning in six. So we'll see who uh, is right in terms of the series duration once all is said and done. And uh, to wrap things up, let's move to the Western Conference, and this one should be a dandy. The top seed from the West, the Vegas Golden Knights, will take on the number three seed, the Dallas Stars, and it all starts tonight, Amanda, at 8 p.m. Hockey Night in Canada and Sportsnet will have the coverage, and this series is going to be very, very special. One very unlikely team against a team that I have been backing up since the qualifier and round-robin rounds. Uh, round robins have begun. I still am going to favor Vegas in this. I'm going to say the Golden Knights finish this series in six. I just think in terms of offense, they have what it takes. The defense did look pretty shaky in the second round, but and the goaltending as well has been a humongous question mark, but clearly Peter DeBoer is sticking with his guns, uh, putting Leonard as the number one moving forward. I just think the, the offense... For Vegas is going to be hard for Anton Hudobin and the Dallas Stars to handle. So that's why I'm going to say Vegas takes this series in six. This one I think could go to seven. Um, but I uh, this one's actually really tough for me because Dallas has played so well. Mm-hmm. And coming into this series, I think that. This, as much as Vancouver gave the Knights a real run for their money, uh, you know, taking that one to seven, I think that I think the Stars can do the same thing. But with that said, I'm going to take Vegas in five. Whoa, in five? Yeah, in five. I thought you said this was going to go the distance. Why in five? I said, I said it could go the distance. It could be a series that goes the distance, but I have, I feel like Vegas is going to just come out strong. You think and- they're going to obliterate the stars? 
I wouldn't say a blurate. I I don't think these are going to be like blowout games. I don't. Um, I think they're going to actually be fairly high scoring games because you have two talented groups of players offensively. And I think that goaltending is really what this series is going to come down to. Wow. I really do. Yeah. In I really five. do. Wow. Yeah. And I'm going to take them in five. Wow. Okay. So let's get to uh, who's going to be the difference maker in uh, for each team in this respective series. Um, uh, did you want me to give mine first again? Yes. You go ahead. Okay. Um, so for me, obviously, Vegas, again, has a lot of firepower. There is no doubt about that. Um, I would say the goaltending will be the difference maker, but again, it's been a question mark ever since, uh, you know, Fleury's agent had that one thing posted that not too many people want to talk about, but again, it definitely plays a difference maker in the locker room, in my opinion, that that's, that's just my opinion for me. I think the difference maker in this series is going to be Mark Stone because he is definitely that offensively heavy, uh, winger that every team would love to have. Yes, he's not the fastest player, but a big build of his and the shot that he has is definitely going to be something that Dallas might not be able to handle. And for a guy like Anton Hudobin to go up against such heavy firepower like the Vegas Golden Knights is not going to be an easy task for him. And I just don't know if I see him coming out of this alive. Now for Dallas, though, I would want to give the difference maker to Ben Bishop if he were indeed to come back. If he does, I'm here's what I'm going to do. If Ben Bishop is in fact healthy, he will be the difference maker in this series. But I'm going to be a little bit more fair and say that I think the difference maker, and this one is going to be kind of an under the radar pick. I'm going to say Alexander Radulov is going to be a huge piece for the stars moving forward. I thought he played great in Game 7. As much as I don't like him as a person, he's definitely a very skilled player. There's no doubt about it. I I definitely think that him playing with the team that he has around him is definitely making him a real star, no pun intended. But for Dallas, again, with all this firepower, you have guys like Tyler Sagan and Jamie Benn. Obviously, Kevaranta's been great. Miro Heskinen on the blue line. But Radulov is that underrated player that not too many people talk about because of his, you know, of his past in like Russia and what's been happening in Montreal. But still, Radulov is that guy that is kind of the almost underdog in this series, in my opinion. I think that Radulov can really break out in this series and can really push Dallas to the brink of maybe pulling off the upset here. So for me, it's. Mark Stone for Vegas and Alex Radula for the Stars. Okay, so I am going to go with Robin Leonard for um, Vegas mm-hmm. uh, because I do believe that he has now solidified that number one spot Absolutely. In, in Vegas. Uh, and based on his play, I think unless if he falters, then I don't necessarily see flurry going in um and then for the stars i'm gonna go with a bit of an off the cuff one uh joe pavelski i think it could be a real difference maker because and the reason for this is that pierre DeBoer 
had him as a player for four years, I believe, in in San Jose. Yeah. Uh, so he, Joe knows how he works. Joe knows uh, the ins and outs and how he coaches. And he and can work I that to his advantage. He can absolutely work that to his advantage. And I, I don't know about you. I'll ask this. Is this the last opportunity for Pavelski to get that ring he's been looking for? I, I think this is the last opportunity uh, for him. I, I'm not saying it's the last year he plays, but I think this is the legit last run that he has with a promising team like Dallas to try and get that cup. I, I, yes. I would say that that... He's not done, but... No, definitely, but that window that is starting is, to close. This, the window is definitely starting to close. Yeah. I would say that this is, this is the... Li- like the year it needs to be the year this has to be the year for him yeah because i mean when they made the final against pittsburgh it was great but they got embarrassed by pittsburgh and there's no doubt that that was the best team the sharks have had in a long long time but they just did not show up for the cup final so for pavelski to move on from that and then make his way to dallas and for dallas to be doing what they're doing right now it's definitely very promising for a guy like pavelski but again He's coming towards the end of his career. I'm not necessarily saying he's going to be done anytime soon, but I just think this is the last legitimate chance that he and the Dallas Stars have at trying to make a push for the Cup. So, uh, you know, I I really like your pick, um, and I would love to see Pavelski win a Cup. He's definitely one of those top players who have never won a Cup before. And for him, if his career were to come to an end and he didn't win a Cup, would be massively disappointing. So I would love to see him win the cup. It's just going to be tougher to get by Vegas, realistically. I, I think it is, and I think that just Vegas holds that edge to the Dallas Stars, and I think that that's why I think that Vegas will will der- certainly try and make very quick work of of the Dallas Stars. I I, I think they might. I I think the f- I think in five games is a bit of a bold prediction, but. I'm not too far off with six games. So it'll be interesting to see how both teams come out swinging tonight. And, uh, you know, obviously I'm going to be following that game really closely. I'm going to be trying to follow every game really closely because, again, they're going to be at pretty decent time slots. So moving forward, I think this conference final is going to be great for both sides. Uh, There's obviously, you know, I think the Islanders and the Stars are definitely the underdogs in the respective conference. We kind of expected the Lightning and Golden Knights to get to this point, but we didn't really think it was going to be necessarily the opponents that they were going to be going up against. So I think this is going to be a great race to the finish. Uh, It's two teams that are, are four teams that are very deserving of being here. Definitely approved a lot of people, Ron. And again, they are now both, all these teams are just eight wins away from lifting the most prestigious prize in hockey. So I'm interested to see how this plays out. Um, and again, when the Stanley Cup final comes around, it's going to be nerve-wracking for a lot of people. But it's going to be great to see that a team will actually be able to lift the cup over their head, given the circumstances of what's going on in the world today. Uh, exactly. And again, we don't have our concise, uh, our, uh, concise picks of who's going to win the cup. That's for another time. But we have our picks locked in now. We are in agreement of the teams once again. But you, ov- but obviously, with you picking a series going shorter, uh, I believe both times, it's definitely going to probably be the difference maker. And honestly, Amanda, 
I think you might come out on top of these predictions for the first time, which I think would be great. I guess <laughs> there there hasn't been a there hasn't been a decisive winner that has come out of these predictions. So again, we'll have to wait and see. But I think you know this is going to be a great conference finals. I hope it's relatively close. I hope we see as much hockey as we possibly can, and hopefully our predictions do come out correctly and don't just fall flat on their face. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Well, that's another episode in the books. And again, we do apologize for no episode last week. But given the circumstances, uh, we just weren't comfortable with doing it. So hopefully people do understand. Hopefully this episode makes up for it. Uh, Again, we're trying to find obviously more guests to come on the show. But we have so much to talk about that it fills almost two hours of airtime. So there's really, you know, we might bring on a couple of guests once we get to the Stanley Cup final or get closer to it. Uh, but that's for another time. But Amanda, again, it, you know, I said this a thousand times. It, I'm kind of like a, I'm kind of a record on repeat here. It's great to have the hockey back and be able to, you know, predict what's going to happen moving forward. Um, and this whole playoffs has been a surprise for a lot of people. And honestly, I wouldn't have it any other way. Absolutely. And, you know, we've realized that in 2020, you can't predict a damn thing. So (laughs) (laughs) you can say that again. (laughs) Amen to that. But that's going to do it for this episode of the Deep Geeks podcast. Thank you, everyone, uh, for continuing to support this. Uh, Make sure you do follow us on Twitter at Deep Geeks Pod. Uh, Make sure you follow myself and Amanda on Twitter as well. Uh, Links to our social medias are in the description of this episode. Make sure you follow us, of course, as well on all of our streaming platforms on Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Play Podcasts as well, and also on Anchor. For Amanda Serkowski, I'm Thomas Mercier. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Deep Geeks Podcast. Until next week, take care, stay safe, and please help us end racism as well. Uh, We're all one people. Let's try and end this once and for all. Until next week, take care, love one another, and uh, we'll talk to you again next week.